0: This is Van Color. My name is Moamir, and today on This Is Van Color, I am joined by the executive director of Peak House, a residential drug and alcohol treatment facility informed by social justice approaches towards therapy and counseling for British Columbian youth, the first of its kind in Western Canada. Peak House is operated by the Pacific Youth and Family Services Society and funded by Vancouver Coastal Health. BC Housing owns the physical building where the program is run. This year marks Peak House's 30-year anniversary of helping over a 1,000 young people between the ages of 13 and 18 years old with a voluntary, live-in, 10-week program where they can attend therapy and also partake in activities to develop life skills and establish healthy relationships. He's worked in the sector of youth and family services for over 20 years in Vancouver in both frontline and management capacities. He has served on numerous community board of directors and works alongside organizations and individuals, providing consultation, workshops, mentorship, and leadership training. He is James Kelly. James, how are you?
1: I'm great. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Thanks very much. I'm happy to to, to have you on. Um, before we get into the 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 topic and, and what you do, uh, I just want to give a shout out to your partner, Teresa Campbell. Fantastic. The priestess. <laughs> she's amazing. She is uh, genuinely one of my favorite people in the entire world. And uh, she's done a lot in terms of Uh, Healing for me, and for me to get reacquainted with my my higher self, and uh, it's funny because I was begging her to come on the show, and I'd love to do a show about mysticism with her, Um, and it'd been a while since I'd seen her, Um, so I drop into this Kundalini class that she's running at Ancient Fire Dojo, and I get to meet you, and someone asked you about your work, and I was awestruck at what you were doing, and I actually went up to Teresa and was like, Teresa, like I still want you on the show, but I want James on the show, like right now,
1: <laughs> and here we are, like two weeks later. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fantastic, and uh, I, I mean, Teresa's going to be a fantastic addition to your show at that time. But uh, it did feel very serendipitous that that we met, and uh, things totally. just seemed to align. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's been great. So I'm happy to have you on, and and you've been in, you've been doing a little media. I saw you were on the the uh, the cover of the Vancouver Courier. Uh, you, the CBC News, had a feature on you as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. I did both uh, television and radio CBC. And then early next week, uh, we're doing a segment on Out TV as well.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's great that your organization, Peak House, is uh, getting this publicity, especially at its 30 year anniversary. But I want to put a face on this work right away because it's easy to look at work like this and forget that there are real people in real need of these types of services that you and, and Peak House provide. So, so Peak House is just that. It's, it's a house, right?
1: Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a big house in a residential neighborhood. Um, you, you wouldn't know it from any other house. And, hmm. and one of the things that we really try to cultivate is a home environment because the young people coming there, they're coming to live with us. And right. so we don't want it to be feeling like a facility, but more of a home away from the home that they, that they came from.
0: Cool. And so these kids, um, as I said at the top of the show, aged 13 to 18, are coming to Peak House on a voluntary basis to seek treatment for addiction. So who are these kids and what do we mean by substance abuse addiction?
1: Right. So our program actually serves the province of BC. So we take kids from across the province that are referred to us. Okay. And uh, the young people that come in are totally varied Mm -hmm. so just different socioeconomic backgrounds um different ethnicities Mm. um we get kids from you know rural bc right down to um kids living in urban environments and so the difference among young people is huge Mm -hmm. um and i think that's one of the things that makes the program so successful is the diversity of young people that make up the house
0: okay and and Obviously, the, the, the diversity is huge, but they're all coming for, broadly speaking, a similar goal of uh, working through... Substance abuse addiction. So so what's the what is the qualification for substance abuse addiction? Like what I'm just trying to understand a basis of what that means.
1: Yeah, I think the way that we look at it is problematic substance use. Okay. So what that means is, you know, not everyone's substance use. I mean if they're minors, we have a different lens on that, but not everyone's substance use is problematic. Mm-hmm. Um so what we are looking at is supporting young people whose substance use has become a problem in their lives and in the lives of the people that they love mm-hmm. in a significant enough way that they need to come and do an intensive treatment program. Okay. And so the way that we look, about, look at that is how has it pulled them away from their life? How is it getting in the way of their life? How right. is it interrupting them from being in their preferred way of being in the world?
0: Right. Okay, interesting. And now you, you did say that the composition of the, the Youth at Peak House is quite varied um what's it like in terms of girls versus boys or again sort of racial groups are we seeing maybe some groups more represented in terms of the, the kids you're seeing or is it you know almost random
1: yeah and i'm so glad that you asked that question because um the way that I want to respond to it is by letting you know that we're an all-gender program. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to make that distinction. So, uh, you know, there is a real necessity for all kinds of programs. So gender-segregated programs can be incredibly beneficial for some young people. Mm -hmm. When Peak first opened... uh, the the terminology was a co-ed program. And now we've shifted away from that language to uh, using an all-genders language. And and what that means is that any gender, any gender expression is welcome at Peak House. And and that's a real key place because one of the things that we're really working on is creating a safer and more inclusive environment than might exist in some other resources out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Aside from being um, inclusive uh, when you have an all-gender program, um, are there benefits of I mean, you sort of mentioned that there's benefits of for some people to have segregated genders, but are there benefits of, you know, not looking at that as a, a metric in terms of who you're bringing in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think there's two ways of looking at that. One is, you know, the world is not binary and the world is not segregated. So sure. this is an opportunity for young people to live in a World type situation and learn how to get along with one another. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a key a key piece. The other part is where we're talking about um, looking outside of the gender binary. What we're also looking at is um, inclus inclusivity for young people that might not be able to access some of those um, specific gendered programs in other
0: resources.
1: Mm, okay, so it's yeah. kind of both ends.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, n- now, now going to going back to this idea of the substance abuse and addiction issues that these kids are coming into Peak House with. People like Gaber Matei have really opened my eyes um, in this field by empirically showing that addiction and substance abuse is intrinsically linked to trauma. So I imagine that it's not so much just a physiological addiction that Peak House is trying to treat, but it's also a deep-seated trauma that you're trying to heal and work through. What mental health or trauma issues beyond the physiological addiction are these kids suffering from?
1: Yeah, and that's a tricky... I mean, Gabor has some amazing insights, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, and it's a bit of a tricky question, because I could answer that by telling you all of the number of mental health diagnoses that the young people that come into our program um, have attached to them, hmm. for which there are many. Right. Um, and and I'm sure that you could imagine, you know, we have like really high number of young people with anxiety. We've really seen that increase over time. Mm-hmm. Um, depression, disordered eating practices, all of those things. And at the root of it, um, yes, trauma and also a sense of belonging. Mm. So we have a lot of young people coming in that just don't feel connected in their world. Don't, right. Might not have supports, um, you know, might be in... Uh, situations where their home environment isn't safe. So it can be numerous, and each young person has their own different story mm-hmm. um, that brings them there. And one of the questions that you were asking earlier in terms of um, you know the makeup of the young pe- people in terms of diversity is all of those different intersecting points of marginalization – um, I think, come together and uh, create the most risk that we're seeing for young people. So whether it's, you know, mental health mm-hmm. and racism and poverty. And and so the, the more of those intersecting marginalized identities um, that a young person might be struggling with, the greater the risk for, mm-hmm. for those young
0: people. Uh, so are a lot of the young people in the program, um, would it be safe to, safe to say or, or accurate to say that they're bringing those Multiple intersections in terms of their story, their their journey so far, and, and what brought them to Peak House?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, our focus is drug and alcohol treatment. So that is our primary focus. Mm-hmm. But no one walks through the door with that being the only thing that's going on for yeah, them. Exactly. Right? It, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah what what in their life has brought them to that place mm-hmm. and what in their life is preventing them from moving into a different way of being that might be more successful for them.
0: Right. So is this the um, the social justice approach that um, that you espouse, essentially, or the Peak House espouses, this I, idea?
1: Yeah, I think it's part of it. I mean, you know, s- social justice from our lens is also about, you know, collective values, collective ethics, mm. Um you know, speaking truth to power, uh, trying to reduce inequalities that our young people are facing, often just by the reality of being young people in our society. Sure. Um, and so, you know, what we're trying to do is reduce some of those barriers and and create a collective uh, values-based program where everyone does feel welcome and included.
0: Yeah, cool. You, you know, I, um, we talked about Gabber Mate a little bit, but uh, I recently read a book by... Um, Johan Hari and of course I'm forgetting the title of it but it's Johan Hari's latest book and um you know when he talks about things like depression and anxiety and mental wellness issues um he stems he looks at he looks at patients and he and he shows that it's not just trauma but the secondary factor or it could just be a primary factor as well is a search for meaning right and it's it's interesting that that you've sort of already touched on that is this sense of belonging or this internal sense that something's missing, right? And how these manifest into, unfortunately, whether it's addiction or other mental health issues. So it is nice to see that, you know, there are programs out there, and especially a longstanding program like yours, that aren't just looking at it from a physiological, you got to kick this habit, but, it, but looking a little more deeper and, and looking at these other factors that come at play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's where change over time comes. So you can take a person and limit their access to substances. Yeah. Have you solved the problem in that moment, perhaps? They're not using, so it, it all depends on your metrics for... Um, h- how you identify a problem and a solution to it. Mm-hmm. What, what we're looking for is deeper. So, you know, one of the things that we do at Peak House is right when the referral comes in, we start doing the aftercare planning because what happens to them once they leave the program is what really matters. Right. You know, how are they going to be supported back in their home community in the real world that they're living in outside of a treatment center bubble?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, the fact that we're talking about kids is... um it's something that, that breaks my heart in a lot of ways because <laughs> I, I had a very privileged childhood. Like, you know, we all go through different things, but certainly I had very loving parents and lived in a community where I always did feel meaning, even in my, my teenage angst. Um, but, but when I hear about these kids, I mean, do you feel like it's almost a mirror to our society and, and our failings? And, and is that... Like, what, what compelled you to, to get into this field?
1: Yeah, so um, I started, my, I started uh, this, this journey mm-hmm. years ago. I was volunteering at a community center um, with mostly preteens, just kind of seeing if this was, was something that I wanted to do. And, and what ended up happening was um, another young person, just a couple of years older than, than those kids, came in and started dealing heroin
0: really and, and how, so how old are we talking you
1: said we're, we're talking like 12 13 year olds oh yeah and um, i just i just watched it rip uh, the community apart in a variety of different ways yeah um, From there, I went on to pursue some education and uh, found myself working with street-involved young people. Mm -hmm. um, For most of my, you know, um, frontline experience, I worked, you know, on the street with young people, both in the downtown south and in the downtown east side. Mm. Um, And there's something really special about being able to interact with a person when they're likely at the worst spot in their life. And be able to reflect something back to them that maybe they're not able to see right now. Mm. And, you know, I am a firm believer that we all have gifts and beautifulness within us. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it makes a big difference when you can see that in other people. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, to, an- to answer your question is a hard one. But, um, you know, my, my, my heart for this work started on the street. Yeah. Um, I actually came to Peak House. Um, I used to do relief there. I I'd do a shift once a week, uh, sorry, once a month um, to keep myself alive in the work because young people kept dying. And it was hard. Uh, it's hard work to do uh, when you're using, losing young people. And so I would go to Peak House because I love to see people that were a little bit on the other side. So they were, you know, um, doing the work of engaging in life change, and it was it just gave me hope to keep doing the hard work on the street. Yeah, uh, and then over time, um, you know, I kept I did some consulting, and then I ended up in this in this role. And um, I think I'm losing I'm losing the track of the original question. No, but no, that's fine. It's uh,
0: let's let's go with your train of thought. Yeah, worries. it's it's <laughs>
1: just it's beautiful work to do, and especially with young people. I've worked with adults as well, but you know, young people there is just so much possibility Mm -hmm. and it blows my mind that you know we'll get like a 15 year old walking through the door wanting to make change i mean they're incredibly more insightful and thoughtful than i ever ever was at that age sure and you know and they're doing hard work you know they're doing work around social justice they're doing work around um you know being inclusive they're doing work around breaking down racism you know we have young people leading groups on feminism and, you know, how to be an honourable young man in the world and and what that looks like. It's just, like, absolutely mind-blowing how bright these young people
0: are. Mm -hmm. Do do you think almost – and I I hope this question, you know, comes off in the right way, but you talked about some of these young people being at their lowest. Um, Do you think because they're young and they're in those situations – it almost lends themselves to be a little more introspective, or or look at the world in perhaps a less superficial way than you know a regular teenager.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, I mean, they're still teenagers, right? Absolutely, and so yeah. they're still indestructible <laughs> in all the ways that they feel, um, in the ways that they feel that they are. But it takes just such incredible courage for them to walk through the door at all, and that's. That for me is the thing that keeps me alive in the work.
0: Right. I guess, yeah. I guess that makes sense because you're like you like um we've talked about your program is voluntary, so they're deciding to be there. It's not just that they're saddled with these addiction or or mental wellness issues. They've taken that big first step, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think the voluntary component of our program is vital, mm-hmm. um, especially for young people. For instance, a young person that may have grown up um, within the foster care system, mm. who, let's say, they haven't had a lot of autonomy over their choices uh, throughout their life, it's really important that young people feel like they're making this step on their own. Now, they might be heavily supported to do so. Yeah. Uh, you know, they might be in a home environment where parents have said, "Like, hey, we need you to, to follow through on this." Um, but taking someone that's court mandated, those kind of pieces, they just it just doesn't. Hold in the same way as a young person making the choice to come in on their own. So, we've had kids come in, maybe they've been coerced to be there, and we support them in leaving in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Those young people almost always come back and then they're highly successful. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's just a couple of weeks, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that it's the same with adults, right? Yeah. Um, You can't force therapy or rehabilitation on adults who suffer from the same issues. Um, They have to. They have to make that first step and be ready for it, right?
1: Well, none of us really like being told what to do,
0: <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're a teenager. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, again, I want to go back to this idea of the the social justice informed approaches. Um, what is what was the traditional approach, and and what like how I want to just create a little contrast between what a social justice approach is and what the traditional approach to um, treating substance abuse with children was
1: well, I don't know if there is a traditional approach. I mean, I think that there's there's varied approaches okay um, when it comes to treatment in general. Um, and I think there's a place for all of them. Um, I, I think more pro- more programs better because sure. then there's yeah. more options for people to fit in. yeah, um, and so you know, I'll, I'll speak about. Our program, one of the things that we try to do is help young people figure out what might work for them. Mm -hmm. So we don't subscribe to one particular philosophy as being the right way in order to combat their struggles with substance misuse. It's a collaborative approach, Mm -hmm. depending on the young person.
0: Collaborative between... The young person in Peak House is, is what you mean?
1: Yeah, and yeah. the young person in the world. Sure, you know, like what 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 is out there? Yeah, and so one of the things that we work really hard to do is to try to provide opportunities to have some access to what's out there. Mm-hmm. So we do go to twelve-step meetings like NA and AA, but we're not a twelve-step program. Right. The young people don't do step work while at the house, but we do go to a couple of meetings a week, and the intention for that is hey, this might fit for you. Mm. And this is a free way to connect and build community outside of here if this feels right for you. Right. So that's one of the reasons that we do that. We do things like yoga, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we talk to young people about how can they access that in a free or low cost way as, again, a way of moving their body as a way of making connections and community. Right. And we do a variety of things like that. We just... Um, altered our entire program schedule to allow more time in the forest. So we took right. out we took out some therapy uh, to allow time for tree therapy. Cool. And so, and so
0: what's tree therapy? Walk.
1: Yeah. So it's I mean we live in a beautiful place, right? Course, so yeah, the mountains really are right there. Um, and what we were finding is we were oh we had an we had an outing. We were going to Lynn Canyon. We'd drive there. We'd spend forty minutes. We'd get in the car. We'd come back.
0: Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: I don't know if it's super therapeutic. Um, because it just kind of feeds into that need to keep moving and doing. Right. And so, you know, we're working with, um, elders, uh, we're doing nature walks, medicinal plant walks. Hmm. Uh, we're going out with intention of tree identification. Okay. Things that are slow. Yeah. You know, things that allow young people to pay attention and just kind of settle into an environment for a moment.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um. I mean, you brought up yoga and we, we've we covered yoga in the show a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find for me, one of the reasons I like it is one, it's a physical activity. There's, you know, you get endorphins and moving your body is a good thing. Uh, you get a moment of stillness, which you can also get, you know, using tree therapy or what you just uh, described. And um, in terms of being at a yoga studio, you get a sense of community, right? And And so I'm using yoga in, as an example of how one activity. It's not for everyone, right? But how certain activities, these things we all need, stillness, community, um, these are all human desires, right? And I guess physical motion is uh, movement as well. Um, And it's, it's, I just find that so cool that that's what you're trying to instill in these kids, whether it's through yoga, or, you know, through a nature walk, or or through whatever else. Um, I mean, these are things that I think keep us grounded and keep us healthy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean and then we do more, you know, quote unquote traditional things like we go to the gym or we go swimming or we go yeah. have fun. You know, they're young people, right? So they should be having fun. Yeah. as well and that's that's super important. Yeah. And and so play is important. Absolutely. Yeah. And and a lot of these young people haven't had a lot of play. Like we're talking average age of first use is 9 years old. Whew. Right, so yeah, um, where yeah. where 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 have they been, kids? In yeah. this right, reconnecting with you know where we have a school program uh, where our young people they just go for a couple hours a day. It's in a high school, but they have a designated classroom, a designated teacher, so they're getting that opportunity to be in a school but not having to deal with all the elements of being in school. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Sure, yeah. They're going to the Sarah McLaughlin School of Music, you know, we we bring in speakers to do cool things with them and, and you know, maybe have a conversation about how can you travel cheap in this world? Because mm-hmm. these things are inspiring things. Yeah. These are the things that make you actually want to have a life. Yeah. Right. And when you want when you're looking forward to something, rather than trying not to do something, the opportunity for growth and change is there. Because if you really want to go on a trip, you don't want to have to deal with what you're going to do with your heroin addiction on that trip. Right. That's a whole different way of thinking about it than I shouldn't use heroin.
0: Yeah. And again, it, it like we sort of touched on, or you've touched on, I should say, it goes back to this idea of meaning and belonging. Absolutely. Yeah. So, So walk me through this 10-week program Um, start to finish, including the types of staff at Peak House and the services that they administer?
1: Sure. So um, I guess it starts with the referrals. So we take referrals from across the provinces, I was saying, Mm -hmm. and the referrals typically come from a drug and alcohol counselor or someone in the community, uh, a a professional provider in the community um, who makes that referral. And the intention behind that is we're 10 weeks. And so it's a great 10 weeks, but it's only 10 weeks. So we want to make sure that those young people are supported before they come in, Mm -hmm. while they come in, and after they leave us with someone else who's going to follow through with that continuity of care. So that's where it starts. Um, when the referral comes in, they, uh, they come into the program. The first two weeks of the program is called orientation and assessment. And we kind of describe it as an opportunity for them to check us out and for us to check them out mm-hmm. and see if it's a fit. The reason why it's, it's separated, so it's, it's basically like a two-week program and then an eight-week program. And the reason for that is a lot of young people that have come in have failed or have been told that they're failures In other programs or in other aspects of their life. Hmm. So what we want to do is set them up for success to feel good about whatever kind of stage they finish to. Mm -hmm. And so for some young people, they might come in for a couple of days. For some, they come in for the two weeks. At the end of it, they think, this was great. I'm not ready to continue. Or this was great. I want to continue. Mm -hmm. So if continuing feels like the right fit, then we, we have a, you know, it's, it's a beautiful welcoming ceremony that we have. And we invite them in. And basically, we make a commitment to the young person for the next eight weeks. And cool. they make a commitment back to the group uh, that's there.
0: Wow. Cool. A- and at, at, uh, at one time, how many kids are there?
1: So we have a maximum of eight kids. Okay. Uh, so we have seven bedrooms. One of them's a double. Okay. Um, but eight kids maximum.
0: Cool. Okay. So they you make the commitment. And then, then what's next? What, what happens after that?
1: Yeah. So the, the program is highly structured. Um, there's not a lot of downtime, um, during the course of their stay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we regulate when they get up and when they have a snack, when they eat, what their day looks like. We Mm -hmm. have programming throughout the day and that, that varies. So that might be yoga. It might be acupuncture. Um, there's group therapy that happens. There's individual sessions that happen. Um, those, uh, individual group therapy and family sessions at the discretion of the young person, because everything is led by what the young person wants, what oh, they feel okay. is going to lead their hmm. therapy. So, those are all led by master's level registered clinical counselors. Okay. The and then we have the intake and assessment counselor, and then the the bulk of our team is youth counselors. And youth counselors are like the heart of the program. Mm-hmm. So they're the folks that you know, are there waking them up, spending the day, helping them through their day and um, basically living with them without living in the house. So gotcha. our, yeah. our program staffed uh, 24-7. We have awake overnight staff. So if at any time a young person needs to check in, they need some, some level of support, there is always someone there to meet that need.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. And so staff, you've sort of gone through some of the counselors there, but- what is your staff size like? Yeah, How so many counselors. S- do you have?
1: Yeah, so we have, um, so we have uh, two registered clinical counselors. Mm-hmm. We have our intake and assessment counselor. We have our program manager, um, Wendy Whitmack, who's been with us for thirty years, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, we have so a- from the start. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, so she holds like such a, an amazing amount of history of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's beautiful to have her there. Um, we have a clinical supervisor, uh, Vicki Reynolds, uh, who's, who's a quite well-known therapist in the community and just actually hosted a, a talk that we put on at, uh, the stretch yoga studio oh, cool. for just over a hundred, um, professionals in the community, hmm. which was actually on innovative ways to respond to trauma yeah. for young people. Huh. Um, we have, uh, you know, a handful of youth counselors. We have a, a chef, we have a cook that works there.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. There. Cool. Um,
1: so he works during the week, and then we have uh, a couple of overnight staff as well. And then we we kind of have another handful or so of relief staff who work um, on an hourly basis and come in and um, do some additional work.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. Yeah, Very so it's
1: cool. a small but really well connected beautiful team and and one of the things that we do with staffing is we try and reflect the diversity of the young people that come into the house mm. and we work really hard to um, create that balance but also you know diversity has many forms and one of the things that we're looking for too is interests because what what we're hoping for is that young people are going to connect mm-hmm. so one of our overnights who a staff lila who's been there I think, 28 years. She does a hand portrait of every young person that comes in. Oh,
0: yeah. Wow. It's
1: it's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. We have other staff that are, you know, really involved with dance that can have those conversations or travel or, you know, heavy intellects. And so we're really trying to broaden the different ways that young people can connect.
0: Yeah. And you're giving them all these different avenues to connect. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I also loved how you said that the program is highly structured. Because um, I found uh, growing, growing up, again, very privileged life, uh, I've done very well with structure. And people think that structure means like you're always on the go. But I think it also means you have to structure when you rest or you have to structure hmm. those quiet moments. Because for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people as well, if you don't structure that in, You know, you're going to be on your phone or going to be watching TV or or whatever, and you might think you're resting, but that's not true, like, rest or relaxation or keeping your mind still that you would, you you know, get in a nature walk or yoga or whatever else. So I love the fact that that's that's almost, like, first and foremost, that's sort of what you said, right? It's highly structured.
1: It is, and and I love that you actually pointed out that it creates an opportunity for rest. One of the things that we find is that... A lot of the young people that come in haven't had access to structure, Mm. um, or very much of it, and you know it's young people's job in the world to push.
0: Yeah, (laughs) right.
1: That's their job. Sure. You know they're trying to they're trying to figure out where is the line. Yeah. Um, Where is the safety? How can I? How can I pay attention to what I can predict is going to happen in this next scenario? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's who they are. They're trying to figure out the world. And so one of the things that we really find is that having a structured environment means having a safe environment. Mm. We try to be as predictable as possible. Um, and you know we meet each young pers- person where they're at but we try and keep a container so that people feel safe within it right. if that makes if that makes sense and we find you know when kids first come in they often struggle with that because we pay really close attention to things that people might not have paid attention to while they're in use so things like language you know we're really mindful about misogyny you know, sure. we're really mindful about uh, creating safe, inclusive spaces. Um, you know, things that maybe they didn't see, see as a racist. Oh, that was just a joke out there. We actually break that down as mm. as to what does that look like, what does that mean, how could that be hurtful, and we're on top of those things. Yeah, and it can be jarring, even for staff. Sure, right? because yeah. it's like, what? I can't say this word, and it's like, yeah, yeah and here's why, and it, and it, and it can be really challenging at first, and then once people get it, it you just watch them exhale mm-hmm. because now they know, ah, uh, this is the container. And if you're calling this out over here, then you're going to call that out over here. Right. And that means that I'm probably going to feel safer with whatever my identity
0: is. Yeah, exactly. That's really beautiful. No, I love that. And I, I again, this this idea of mindfulness and, and in things like language, right? And, and what you say and what that might mean. And maybe it means nothing to you, but it could, you know, be, mean something to someone else. And I I think even that fosters empathy and that fosters compassion and maybe even some self-compassion as well when you start thinking of the world in that way.
1: Absolutely. And we're all mindless. Like, we're, we're, <laughs> you know, like I just the other day, I said something in, in a conversation and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going to stop saying that totally you know and we we catch ourselves as adults you know I I like to think I'm an evolved human with you know a particular kind of lens and I say things all the time that I'm caught hopefully I'm caught or someone calls (laughs) me out whatever the case may be and so for young people to have that opportunity to really sit down and examine these things you know they go back to families and families are blown away by you know the respect level has changed it's not that the respect wasn't there Hmm. you see and i think that's where we get confused it's not that young people are necessarily disrespectful Mm -hmm. they've just never had a moment to sit down and really think about what they're saying or doing
0: sure yeah no i I think that's i mean that's a a practice that uh quote unquote healthy full functioning adults should be doing as well and it, it like like you said it's it's, it's nice to do that in a safe environment where you're, even if you say the wrong thing, maybe you, you didn't mean ill intent by it, but someone calls you out on it and you have that reflective moment and think, okay, well, yeah, maybe I should be thinking about this differently or be a little more mindful with my language.
1: Absolutely. And what that actually does, so we could say, well, that's a beautiful thing and then that creates a more inclusive world and all of those things. But what it actually does for that young person mm-hmm. is create the likelihood of better connections. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about, right? Because they're probably not going to piss someone off <laughs> in the same way, you know, which might lead to not a fight, which might lead to not an arrest. Yeah. Which, you know, the, it has all of these far-reaching implications and we think, ah, oh, such a simple thing, it's language. Mm-hmm. But it's not.
0: Yeah. And, and again, like you said, learning in that safe environment. They're not learning it, quote-unquote, the hard way in the sense that they offended someone, and they get in a fight or an altercation, yeah. right? They're, they're learning it in this safe... Container. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, one thing I am curious about is we are obviously dealing with, or you're dealing with kids with addiction. Um, how is withdrawal from addiction managed?
1: Yeah, so at Peak House, we do not manage withdrawal. So mm. when young people come in, we prefer... That they have seven days away from s- substances. Oh, okay. Um, that's our preference. Sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple reasons for that. One, it's a it's a continual intake. So uh, we have eight kids there, and they all come in at different times. So one young person might have been there for six weeks. Someone else a week, and then you know someone else just walks through the door. Gotcha. It can be highly triggering if someone comes in and they're detoxing for the first you know five days of the program yeah. for the other young people. Yeah. The other thing is they can't really participate in programming. So we're not going to be asking someone who's in the throes of detox to, you know, get up in the morning and get ready for school. Hmm. You know, they need to be focusing on just being well. Yeah. Um, And so usually young people either go to a detox facility or they take a break from their substance so as they're not in the throes of detox Hmm. when they come in. Okay. The other piece around that is it depends on the substance. So alcohol, for instance, is very dangerous for someone to just stop doing if they're using a high amount of alcohol. And so medical supports are often needed in some of those cases. And the detoxes are able to provide that extra level of care uh, that we couldn't do in the same capacity.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. I mean, obviously, this is so far removed from my reality, but... It would be very difficult if you had people in withdrawal around you while you're going through this program.
1: Yeah, it just it kind of takes people out from the focus. Yeah, and it's treatment, so when you're there, you're working. The kids are working. Mm-hmm. You know, they're working to get their lives back. Yeah, so they need to be able to participate to do that.
0: And I almost feel like, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I almost feel like if they, if they're seven days sober when they come into the program, that's almost sh- validating that commitment that they're about to make to the program, right? That shows that they're serious, that they are there voluntarily.
1: Yeah, that can be the, that, that can be an outcome too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: um,
1: sure. Sometimes they come straight from detox. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could view it as a lens of, well, if you put in seven days, then maybe you're going to put in 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. That's possible. It, it's more about making sure that they're nurtured and cared for okay. during that process. Sure. Um, and that they have the right supports in place and that they're able to do the hard work of a recovery program more than them having to prove something.
0: Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and, and you've talked about, you know, how this program is really led by the kids. Um, there's various different different avenues that they can go through while in the program. One of the challenges I imagine is is balancing this tailored treatment for each kid and each child, but being able to scale it out to a program level where you can reach multiple kids at once. Is is that a challenge or do you find that um or do you find it's it's one that's actually manageable because of the staff you have or Yeah, all of those. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so
1: it's both. It, yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think it's it's both and. Yeah. So, you know, part of it is the container. Mm-hmm. So at the heart of the container is, you know, safety and inclusion. Yeah. So, you know, young people need to be safe enough to be there. Mm. So they need to be safe enough for themselves and they need to be safe enough for other people. So that's kind of at the heart. Then we have like a whole bunch of rules around that Okay. Um, that kind of fan out. Those are the places where we're able to meet young people where they're at. So what what is possible for one young person might not be possible for someone else. So mm-hmm. the bar isn't set at the same height for every single person, but the safety bar is. Yeah. So that, that's the container. And from there, you know, young people, we talk a lot about like youth wisdom. So youth know what's best for themselves. They know they're, we need to trust them with their lives. Mm-hmm. So we need to be co-creating with them what is their plan. And so for some young people, abstinence is their plan. Hmm. While they're in peak house, it's an abstinence-based program while they're there. So yeah. they can't use while they're there. But we're a harm reduction program in a continuum of other services. So that might not be that young person's goal when they leave. Mm-hmm. Their goal might look different. It might be, I'm going to use this substance, but I'm not going to use this substance. Or I'm yeah. going to use this substance less. Or I'm not going to use it when I'm alone. Or whatever kind of their goal is. So that's where the individual programming also happens. Yeah. Um,
0: Because the as we've sort of alluded to it, the program is is targeting a lot more things at the core of their lives, as opposed to the the substance that they're using. Yes. Yeah. So that makes sense to me in that regard, where it it doesn't have to be 100 percent. Abstinence.
1: Absolutely. And so what we ask is when young people come in that they're signing up to fully participate. So that means you're going to yoga whether you like yoga or not. Okay. Because if people are picking and choosing, it's not happening, right? Right. And so the intention is if you're in, you're in. Yeah. And you're in to gain these experiences to figure out what you want to do later yeah. so if you come and at you love acupuncture then we can help figure out how you can do that post oh, because cool. if you come and you hate acupuncture <laughs> and you can do the seeds or whatever you know you can meditate whatever the other option will be yeah now you know that that's not a fit for you yeah now let's focus on something else that is
0: yeah and, and that's one of those things where um you know Kids should be exposed, I mean, we're talking about all kids, they should be exposed to different types of activities, different types of things to see whether they like them or not. Because often, even if maybe they would like something, maybe they're scared or they don't, you know, they'll wonder about what other people will think, but sometimes it's good to force kids to try something and see if you actually do enjoy it for all of us. Yeah. And I I think we
1: can all get stuck into, you know, cool kid mentality or group think or what will other people. So when we're again, that container of safety is we're all doing this. Yeah. You know, so
0: this is what we're doing today. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I do feel like we're bouncing around a little bit, but you had touched on this idea of, you know, success means different things Mm -hmm. for different kids. Um, I'm curious, but there must be like a, at least a broad idea or broad metric of what that means. So, so what does success mean for you, in terms of a kid coming out of Peak House, and and based on that, how is Peak House doing in terms of its quote unquote success rate?
1: Yeah, people love to ask these questions. I know, social I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um,
0: I hope that's not offending. No, no, you no. That no that you're that not the first yeah. person. I mean, I, I write
1: reports <laughs> on our success rate. Sure. Um, of course I do because that's what we need to do in order to attain funding. Mm -hmm. Um, I think how I'll answer your question of what does it look like for a kid coming out of PCOS, I will answer that by saying it looks like a kid coming to PCOS. That's the success. So we often have young people who have struggled for years and years that have not done anything towards addressing how substances are taking them out of their lives, taking them out of their family, all of these pieces. So the minute they walk in the door, that's a success.
0: Okay. yeah, And
1: that's what we really want to be celebrating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could tell you, oh, if someone completes the 10-week program, they have the commencement ceremony, their family's all there, it's beautiful, they cry, they go home, <laughs> they never use drugs again, Yeah, you know, they become a doctor. We have those success stories, absolutely. Sure. We also have young people that come in for two days and never come back, but send us a letter later saying what a huge change that those two days made in their life. Hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I like to say to new staff coming on board is is to never underestimate the importance you can have in someone's life.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, you know... The young people coming on their own is huge. What they get out of it varies. Mm-hmm. We ha- we've had kids come in for a couple of days, feel like it's not a fit, but we've supported them in that decision and helped create a safe transition for them. They come back
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: and go through the program and are successful. Yeah. So I mean we have uh we have young people i just actually got a resume from someone who wants to work with us who used to be a young person and we we have hired people oh cool you know over 30 years you can imagine we've had young people that have come through and then gone into social services and have come back as our staff
0: Hmm.
1: um that's amazing we have an annual barbecue and we invite all past alumni um and their families to come it's full of kids yeah. You know, it's beautiful. And so, you know, we're watching young people go on to become healthy, like beautiful parents in the world because they were able to find some peace and um, solace in themselves. Yeah. So I, it really, it really varies in terms of success. The success depends on what the young person is hoping for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For us, if we get a young person in and we're able to, reflect back to them something positive about themselves that might create a shift in the way that they see themselves in the world yeah huge success yeah if they can go back to their family or their community in a way that allows them to be um supported and we can help give their family some skills in order to help support them to be there huge success Mm -hmm. you know and so i mean we get kids coming in who are coming in because of their younger sibling they want to set a better example. So Mm -hmm. is this success that young person or is it their little brother who picks a different path? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different metrics for it.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, Fair enough.
1: But I would say that uh, in terms of creating a safer, supportive, inclusive environment where young people feel heard and respected, we're hugely successful.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Now I am curious about two scenarios and these were just ones that popped into mind Um, sort of on this topic of success or or how we think about it, right? We have a kid in the program, uh, and they drop out. Uh, you've sort of talked about a transition out of the program, um, and making that safe. Can you just walk me through that? Like what happens to that, to that kid? If they decide, you know, they've been there two weeks or three weeks and they say, Hey, you know what, this isn't for me. I gotta, I gotta go what what happens how does that work
1: the first thing that we would do is sit down and have a conversation with them Mm -hmm. so what's what's going on what's the heart of this one of the counselors
0: would yes
1: likely it would be their clinical counselor okay um would sit down providing wasn't on you know a saturday when they're there but that's we try and slow them down yeah that's step one what's at the heart of this Uh, And then we'd work with that young person. So maybe they're just really homesick. So is a home pass something that actually is a couple of days out of the program, something that would help them to take some space to spend more time thinking about what it is that they really want? Hmm. You know, there's often other things happening in the background. This happened recently in Grandma was sick, and they were afraid that they needed to go back and take care of their family, that this wasn't the right time. So it it can be a range of different reasons why young people. So the first thing that we do is slow it down, have a conversation, what's really going on. And the intention isn't to change their mind. Mm -hmm. The intention is to provide opportunity. Yeah. So that's what we would do.
0: Well, it sounds like the intention is um, getting to the root of the matter, right? Whether it's they want to leave or it's... They need, you know, they need something else, right, to stay.
1: That's right. And sometimes young people just see, I need to go, so I'm going to go. Well, what else is possible? Is a break possible? Do you want to come back in a month? Is that possible? Mm. Is having a family member visit? Like, let's figure out what's going on. Yeah. But without trying to convince someone that they don't want what they want, you know, and I think that's what we do with young people all the time. We try and tell them that they should be doing something else, sure. and then they lose um, they lose the ability to stand up for themselves. They lose all of these things that we really want them to have: resiliency and. Um, And autonomy and you know power over themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? We we kind of strip that away and we 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 like it in small doses where it's convenient. Yeah. So we want to trust people with their decisions, but slow them down and make sure that's really what they want and that there's not another option that might better serve their needs. Mm -hmm. But if that young person wants to go, what we do then is we follow their safety aftercare plan. So as soon as they come in, there's a plan for when they want to go, who's getting called. Who's picking them up? Where do they live? All of those pieces, what counselors are connected is, you know, can we set up a meeting with their drug and alcohol counselor in the community? Maybe they want to come by in a couple of days and have a follow up session. So it's how can we do this in the safest way possible? Mm -hmm. Also, in this particular time um, of overdose. Everybody that comes in is uh, being trained for naloxone training. Everyone's given a kit. We talk to families. Um, and we make sure families have access as well, even if that's not the young person's drug of choice because the likelihood that they're around someone that could be in a vulnerable uh, situation or at risk okay. for overdose is high. So that's a key component that's different at this time and space.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Uh, when they are in the program, do are are they in contact with their family and, and at home?
1: Yeah, so it it's structured with you know, a lot of our programming rules uh, are 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 based on what young people tell us helps best support them. Okay, gotcha. So. You know, when they first come in, we try and give a little bit of distance because homesickness just gets bigger if they're in contact all the time. Yeah, yeah. But we certainly would never prevent anyone from having contact with their family as long as their family is safe and supportive.
0: For sure, yeah.
1: Um, For the first two weeks, we try and limit, you know, visits and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. and then we have family night once a week, and uh, cool. families are welcome in. We, You know, there's usually pie and delicious food <laughs> and, and all of those things. They also, um, you know, we don't have cell phones in the house. Um, they're not watching TV. They're not surfing the Internet. Um, it sounds good for any kid, I think. It sounds good for any anybody. <laughs> anybody, you know? yeah, sure. You know, we've been sitting here for almost an hour, and I'm like, I wonder how many phone calls I've missed, right? <laughs> like, it's just Have there. you?
0: Oh, no. Yeah, it's okay. just there. No, I've been just, locked in.
1: I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I think it's for all of us, right? It's hard. hard. And, and that's another break where they're able to just self-focus. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So
0: Yeah. Second scenario. Yeah. Um, a child... Quote unquote successfully completes the program. They've been there the full 10 weeks. What is the follow up like from your end?
1: Yeah. So, again, follow up and aftercare starts right, right away. Right away. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we have an alumni group. Um, we hook it up with Skype so uh, kids from across the province can participate. Cool. Uh, that happens once a month. And uh, we have guest speakers come in. Sometimes they're uh, former alumni that come in and kind of talk to the kids in the program about what did it look like when you left? Mm -hmm. Like, what are some things that you can watch out for? What are some things to look forward to? What are some things to try and avoid? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the things we try and bring young people back in. We connect them with alumni group to help build, you know, um, again, connection. In community with other young people that have been in the program that might be in a similar place with trying to step away from substance use. They have uh, aftercare sessions. They can call the house anytime. We're staffed 24-7, so we mm. welcome them to stay engaged with us. Yeah, um, We want young people to stay as engaged as is useful to them and their families. And for some young people, that's a lot. And for others, they've come through the program. They're in a different place. And they move forward with their life.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's really cool, and I I love the idea of an alumni program and keeping the door open. You know, to call to call the house again because it's it's not that (laughs) your work's done or it's you've just cut a tie. I mean, if it's something that's so meaningful, you'll want to stay connected, right?
1: Yeah, and I you know we we call the end of the program a commencement because it's really the beginning, right? Yeah, I
0: love that. Right, and so
1: we. We love young people staying connected with the new beginning of what's about to happen in their lives. Yeah, um, and we also want to be a support uh, if they're struggling, and and um, liaising with them and their community of care. So whether that's caregivers, parents, service providers in the community, to, you know, help provide that wraparound support. Mm-hmm. It might be referring to another program. Um, whatever we can kind of do to help create that soft landing for them when they go back to their home community or their housing situation. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Now, now speaking of following up and what happens next, uh, I believe you're raising money for Peak House 2.
1: That's the plan. Okay, you haven't started yet. We just launched it. So you had mentioned earlier uh, some some media attention that we've been getting lately, mm-hmm. and uh, and I touched a little on the the workshop that we did uh, with Vicky Reynolds. Um, so we've just kind of launched our campaign. Okay. Um. And what we're what we're looking to do is we've set an initial goal of three hundred thousand dollars for Peak Two. Okay. Um. To buy some physical property. Um, and start the process of creating an opportunity for young people for whom ten weeks maybe wasn't enough.
0: Oh, interesting. okay. So you obviously saw that through your program that there were kids that needed more than ten weeks. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: you know, ten weeks is a, you know, it's an arbitrary number. I can tell you the science behind it, but at the end of the day, <laughs> for some for some young folks, six weeks is the right amount of time. Mm. Um, and for others, Uh, 10 and for many um, there isn't a soft landing so we work really hard to ensure that there's a solid aftercare plan in place for young people Uh, we would never take anyone in that's going back onto the street we make sure that's all taken care of ahead of time Mm -hmm. Um, but the reality is not everyone has a safe place to go back to right you know so they might not have a family that can support them uh they might come from a community where maybe they, let's say they have a fantastic supportive family, um, but there's not a ton of money and community is unsafe for a variety of reasons, gang involvement or Mm -hmm. whatever else might be going on. So there's a lot of things that get in the way of young people um, having the safe, supported housing options. Once they've done all this incredibly hard work, sometimes they're back into an environment that makes it really challenging for them to maintain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like this uh, that the Peak House too is an extension of meeting them where they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for young people for whom ten weeks isn't enough, yeah, uh, it's a little more flexibility, so a little more independence, but still with the same staffing supports, but more of a transition into adulthood process. Oh, okay. So they can start practicing uh, the work that they've done, but still within a supportive, inclusive, therapeutic community and environment.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, uh, just as we wrap up here, um, one more question that I do, one big substantive question I want to ask you is, you know, when the public looks at these substance abuse treatment centers, especially ones that are geared towards kids, um, what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are? And is there anything that maybe you would you would want to change people's minds about, or you think people are too, too quick to, uh, to judgment on certain things with regard. Cause this, this does become a very, unfortunately a controversial topic for a lot of people. Right.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, the main message is that we need to create as many access points to help as possible. Mm-hmm. And so treatment is one of those. Uh, but there are many other points of support, uh, Along a continuum that is not linear. And so, access to detoxing supports, access to um, supportive housing, access to um, drug and alcohol counselors, mm-hmm. uh, access to recreational programs, programming that creates a sense of belonging and inclusion. All of these things are very much a part of the whole. Right. Right. So, just throwing a bunch of money at treatment centers without addressing all of these other, um, societal um issues doesn't solve the problem yeah and so i think you know in vancouver in particular at this point in time um we see a crisis which it's not even a crisis anymore this is just this is just um the way things are now the the poisoning of so many people is just that's just the reality of where we're at Mm -hmm. um and so I think we see this and we think, okay, well, we need treatment centers. What we need is a continuum of services yeah. to support all people, young people, all people mm-hmm. along that, that continuum of care. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think having dealt with a lot of parents in particular who are just terrified. Uh, they're terrified that their young person is going to die.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, they want to force them to go into treatment um, because they want to save their lives. Mm-hmm. And I totally get it. I mean, why would they not want that? Yeah. Why would they not? Um, in our experience, what we've seen is young people need to want to be there mm-hmm. in order to create lasting change over time. And so um, I think that's it's really important that we look at voluntary services. I think it's really important that we look... At a continuum of services, and I also think that it's really important that we look at the hopefulness of young people. We look at the positive sides of getting their lives back. Like, what do they have to gain
0: mm-hmm. from
1: this? Um, because if you if you extract the joy, then what is what is the point? Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, and and again to to bring it full circle, it's it's like you've been saying, it's about creating this sense of belonging, meaning, right? And it's something that we all need in our lives and the absence of it, um, unfortunately does have effects like these, whether it's mental wellness or addiction or anxiety, that's what happens when you don't have these things.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the important things for folks to ponder is this is a community problem, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when someone is struggling, that is not an individual problem. That's not a problem for that family. Yeah. That's not a problem for that neighborhood. That is a collective problem that we all need to get behind Mm -hmm. to support one another in. Um, And so I think it's easy for people to look and say, oh, glad that's not my kid. Or at least that's not me. But in this particular time, especially in Vancouver, I think we'd be hard pressed not to pause and think, how have I been affected by drug use and abuse here and I, I think we're all touched. Like either we know someone, or we know someone whose life has been dramatically altered. Mm-hmm. Um, I know several people that have passed in this uh, poisoning um, over many years, and 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 right now, I mean, it's 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 sad. Yeah, is what's it happening. is. Yeah, and um, and I think as a community, we need to really look at what are we doing collectively to support uh, not just young people but all people.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to what I was saying earlier, it is sort of that mirror to society in terms of how we treat our most marginalized, our most vulnerable. And, you know, in a culture that is all about being self-accountable or responsible or whatever, um, it's very easy to dismiss adults. But when it comes to children, hopefully that would be a gateway for some people to have more compassion and to look at it from more holistic um, broader view than just the individual, but as us all being in it together.
1: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the adults that we see struggling were once the young people yeah. trying to access service.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We got to wrap it up here. Um, how can people help Peak House and and help the cause?
1: Yeah, so um, you can go to Peak House Uh, So that's P-E-A-K-H-O-U-S-E dot C-A. Learn about our program. Donate if you have the um, ability to do so. Uh, The other thing is, you know, this time of year, people are looking for ways to contribute to their community. Mm -hmm. Get involved, whether it's with Peak House or another organization, and uh, just be kind and have generosity of spirit with one another.
0: I love that. That's a great way to uh, to wrap up the show, James. This was uh, this was eye opening, and um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for your work. Thank you for sharing uh, the work that you do on on this show. It, it is inspiring, and I genuinely admire people like you, and 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 I really appreciate when people like you spread these stories and and the work that's being done, and. The people that are being affected. I think it's extremely important. So I just want to wish you and Peak House all the best as you celebrate 30 years in the community and uh, begin to raise the funds to expand your program for Peak House too.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, he and his team are doing incredible work in our community. He's the executive director of Peak House. He is James Kelly. And I'm Mo Amir telling you, in a city where you can be anything, Be colorful. Peace.